Hello and welcome to The Home Stretch, the ultimate guide to buying your first home with Gaff Interiors and Bank of Ireland. I'm Joe, And I'm Caroline. And across this six-part series, we will be covering everything from getting your finances in order to finding the perfect house, the legal things you need to know and how to style your home when you eventually get the keys. In this episode, the fourth in the series, we're looking at sealing the deal. You've put in an offer and at this stage of the process, you start working with the solicitor. We're joined by our very own solicitor today, Alan Graham from AG Graham & Co. to help us understand and prepare for all that happens once you put in an offer and things begin to move forward. Welcome, Alan. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. So for, for a bit of context um, for our listeners, I worked directly with you when I was buying my first home. I, I keep saying that as if I've got so many houses, like I've got my second and third, still just the one home. It's just the one for now. And I think I've kind of eradicated most of the experience from my memory. Once we were signed, sealed and delivered, I didn't want to think about deeds or any of that information anymore. So to refresh my memory and for the listeners and for Joe, who is hopefully going to be embarking on our own buying journey in the next year or so. Can you just tell us a little bit about your role and what you do? I will, yes. I think the first thing to say is that we we try to be as kind as we can. There is a perception about solicitors and lawyers generally that they're uh, remote and that they're very expensive. Um, generally, most of them are decent enough and their main aim when you're buying a house is to get legal title for the house that you buy and almost invariably pass that title on not to you but to your bank because the bank's security is those title deeds and that's what the solicitor does in in essence in in short term. Okay and at what stage in the process then would you get involved? Sometimes too late. What we say to everyone is that they should uh, try and contact their solicitor as soon as they're thinking of buying the house rather than at the last moment so that we can give them little tips. For example if they're making an offer on a house that you would say to the auctioneer, the estate agent, well, I make an offer on that house of X euro and that offer is subject to contract and subject to survey. So those are the two kind of key phrases that we use and that it makes it safe for you as a purchaser to use when you make an offer to the estate agent. So how does someone go about finding a solicitor and the right solicitor for them? Obviously, you want someone very kind and and helpful like you, Alan. Where do you start? Because also, this might be the first time that people are working with a solicitor. It certainly was for me. Unless you get into serious trouble in your life so far. (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, most people don't have any involvement with with solicitors or, or barristers for that matter. And it's only when something goes wrong. Now, usually when they're buying a house, it's the opposite of going wrong. It's something they want to do. Um, They don't, by the way, have to have a solicitor. You can do your own conveyancing. You may not use any other person than a solicitor, but you can do your own conveyancing if you wish. It's a little known fact, but it is a fact. But you just have to talk yourself out of business now. I'm sure you wouldn't recommend that. Well, I wouldn't because it's it's like any any, uh, trade or profession. There are certain things that you know about and certain things that you don't know about. So in your profession, in in the media generally, I wouldn't dream of going near the media because I know nothing (laughs) about it. I'm an out-of-towner. I'm from Cork originally, so I don't have any connections in Dublin. I know, Caroline, you know Alan because of Barry, your husband. So if I was to like... A bit of nepotism there. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Always helps to know someone. So if I was to just be in that stage and say, okay, I think I need someone now... Is, do you just Google your your local? Well, yeah, I mean, the, in the old days, we used to say, look up the yellow pages. That's effectively gone now. 
And you see, Google, you don't know who you're going to come up this with. And the there, there are good solicitors, and, and frankly, there are some, very few, but there are some bad solicitors and some probably in between as well. So my general view is word of mouth. I mean, you can you can Google things, you can go to the Law Society's website and get lists and lists and lists of solicitors. Uh, there are approximately 10,000 solicitors qualified wow. and practising in this country. So your choice is 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 mind-boggling, really. Whereas if you go to a friend and, and say, how did you get on with that particular solicitor? And if they say he or she was great, well, you probably might go to that solicitor. And frankly, that's the way I would recommend it. Uh, strictly speaking, you can go to anyone you want. Um, but in practice, if you go to someone who has given a good experience and is reasonable value for money uh, that you get through a friend or an associate or a colleague, I think that's the best practical way of doing it. And what would you say would constitute a good solicitor for someone who doesn't know the process? I mean, I would imagine someone that you can communicate easy with, who gets the job done. Takes the stress away from you because at this point in your house buying journey, you've probably had a lot of overwhelm. You've been through the bank, you've gotten your deposit together, you found the house and you just want someone to kind of handhold you through the journey. That's right. Um, I mean, they say that it is moving house in any shape or form or an apartment is one of the most stressful things that we do in our lives, other than a, a death or a loss in the family. Uh, solicitors in, in conveyancing find that a little hard to understand because they're doing it every day of the week. Mm -hmm. But for individuals, particularly first time around, it is stressful. There's no doubt about that because it's stressful for a number of factors. It's the biggest amount of money you probably ever pay for anything in your life. And it also, it's the time is unknown a lot of the time. You you don't know when something is going to happen and the process is unknown. Mm. So the ideal solicitor, to, to answer your earlier question, I think is someone who A, is experienced, um, B, is reasonable value. And I don't say very cheap because there are some solicitors who are doing convincing, as we call it, a property law, who are, in my view, too cheap. And we wonder to ourselves, how on earth are they paying their professional indemnity insurance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you, you do have to look at cost, obviously. Mm. And there, we'll get on to other aspects of cost when you're buying. But my general advice is probably word of mouth. And it's probably the same goes for we're doing an episode with a builder as well, you know, for, for going on recommendations as much as you can, um, because it is overwhelming to go onto Google and start. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. Yeah. So to go back to the, the process that the home buyer can expect, you get involved when they hopefully have found somewhere. And then it's, can you just talk us through from the very beginning what, and this word conveyancing might be new, it's certainly new to me. <laughs> can you yes, just... generally there's an estate agent acting for the seller, the vendor as we call them. Right. Be careful incidentally when there isn't an estate agent acting. Not that you can't sell your own house, you're quite entitled to sell your own house or apartment. But there have been various scams in Dublin and throughout the country of people who are only actually tenants in the house purporting to sell the house, taking a deposit and walking away. Oh, gosh. And oh, wow. people have handed over 3,000. I knew of a case where 10,000 was handed over to people who were just tenants in the house. Of course, they looked to the people who are purchasing as if they owned the house. They were in the house. Okay. And then oh, wow. they were gone. So you represent yes. the, the client buying and the estate agent represents the person selling? Correct. So then and they, they the will have a solicitor, you, the okay. seller will have a solicitor as well. Okay, and then it's the two of you kind of yes. going head to head. <laughs> and you, uh, there are auctions, but they're less common nowadays. So it's usually what we call private treaty. So you, you argue the toss with the estate agent. 
he or she will say, ah, well, we've got 5,000 more from Mrs. Snoops down the road <laughs> uh, without naming Mrs. Snoops. And elements of trust have to come into it. But remember, it's the estate agent's job, to be fair to the estate agent, to get as much money as he or she can for his client or for her client. Mm. This probably isn't a legal question, but I'm just wondering, because you'd be involved at this stage, people always say, oh, the bid's gone up, uh, we're going to have to go up. How do you know that that's a genuine bid or that your bid, because you, you don't necessarily meet the person, or you don't see the offer coming in. No. Could it be completely made up? Is there any protection there for you so that you're not paying extortionate amount more than the house is actually valued at? You can see the smile on my face. There, <laughs> there are some auctioneers, estate agents who are better at it than others. Now, what does better at it means? Because remember, if you're the seller, you want to get the best price. So if the estate agent manufactures a little 1,000 or 2,000 here or there, you will never know whether it is true or not. Uh, right. So you have to really rely on the, the quality of the estate agent uh, in terms of reputation. Some of the bigger ones, I think, just don't go near that sort of activity. I, work, I, I did work in a very large firm of solicitors. I now work in a small three-person firm of solicitors. So I don't want to run down the small mm. estate agent but sometimes they do manufacture bids, as we call but them. But you can't even control the estate agent because that's already in place on the house that you're looking correct, to buy. So correct. you don't get to cherry pick a nice estate agent. No, no, you don't. Oh, okay. no, you're absolutely right. No, so okay. I think about and you're quite right. So they're relying um, on you then to The only thing them. you're relying on is your general knowledge or quite often your solicitor's general knowledge about the estate agent you're dealing with. Okay. So actually really good if you're communicating with the solicitor and you're saying, OK, there's a a house that I really like, even at that stage, saying to the solicitor, look, do you know the estate agents? Have you dealt with them? What's your overall feeling? And then that might even be a nice starting it place. It is. And, and, and don't get me wrong, most estate agents are thoroughly reputable people, but do bear in mind their job is to get the best price for, for their client, not for you, mm-hmm. out okay. of you. So what's the first thing then you're going to do on behalf of your client? Well, I think the first thing, to repeat those magic words that I used earlier, the first thing, if if you're making an offer, say you've agreed a figure with the estate agent, whatever the figure is, you make the offer. It's important, it's not a killer if you don't, but it's important that you say it's subject to contract, that's the paperwork. And usually it's very important to say, and it's subject to me doing my survey. In other words, getting a building surveyor to inspect the house or the apartment to be sure it's not going to fall down mm-hmm. and not be great value for money. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's great to say that first. I mean, if you don't say that, might you be in a little bit of trouble? You might, Sticky. but the, the, but but uh, generally it's not the end of the world if you don't, because quite often it's done on the telephone. It's not done by in written correspondence. Okay, okay perfect. And then, so then that's the first the step. next sort of um, step from that? The next step is if you agree, you shake hands, the estate agent will send you an email or a letter saying we've agreed to sell the house to you for X. And this will come via you? That'll No, that will come to you directly okay, and probably okay. to the solicitor or to both solicitors too. And at that stage, paper starts to move. Now, paper is, I'm afraid, we are not paperless anymore. It's going that way, but it'll be another few years. So quite often the seller hasn't bothered to tell their solicitor. So the solicitor gets instructions from the estate agent, we've sold to so-and-so. Of course, the title deeds are with a bank or a building society, so that takes another two weeks to take them up. So there's a quite often a delay, which is frustrating mm-hmm. for both sets of clients, but particularly for you making the offer. That's two weeks possibly gone already by the time the deeds are taken up. What's the ideal scenario for someone to come to you so that you're ready to rock and there isn't any delays? Ideally, if you're acting for a seller, the sooner you tell they tell you, the better, because you can take up the deeds 
invariably they're not in the house. They're with the bank or, or a lending institution of some sort. So for just if, for example, if you found a house that you loved, she puts in an offer, gets straight on the phone to her solicitor, could Keep be you, in the loop. and yes. then straight away you're, you're going to act on that to get the deeds. We'll get into all of the... Um, the terminology, because I think that overwhelms. Yeah, we're going to do a little dictionary uh, yeah, we, session we, at the end. We try to confuse as much yeah. as we can. <laughs> is there, from when someone finds a house to buy, I guess this is the question, is as long as a piece of string, is there like an average time frame between that and getting the keys? Well, you're saying there's at least two weeks there when things start to move. So you yes. definitely got two weeks once you have your offer in. Yes. Has it um, ever been two weeks? In, it varies. It can be, I mean, I have cases at the moment where it's five or six weeks because, well, for example, if the seller is in arrears, it has to go to a different department in the bank and that takes another couple of days. But is there an average for the whole transaction? There probably is statistically, but I would normally say to people, regardless of what they're promised by anyone, this process will take at least five or six weeks and probably a few weeks more, uh, depending on various circumstances. This seems to be the time that anyone that I know who's bought a house is as you said, very frustrated and they feel like they've made the offer. Yeah. They think it's all good to go and they just don't know when it's all going to come together and they're going to get their keys. So good for people to know, lower your expectations. Absolutely. Even if you found the place and it's been accepted, you're still going to have a few months of, mm. of waiting down the line. So you will then work with the bank or the building society, the letting agent and the seller or the vendor even and get everything together. At this stage, what is the person who's buying the house doing? Are they just sitting and waiting or do they need to supply you with anything else? To some extent they are, but they, and perhaps we all should have said at the very outset, don't make an offer for a house or an apartment if you don't have loan approval from your bank. Mm -hmm. I mean, that goes without saying. But Yeah, we were speaking to Shane from Bank of Ireland, who's a mortgage advisor, and he said so many people come to him who've already found the house and they're ready to go. So there's a process in place for sure. Yeah, that's right. Okay, brilliant. So... But it, while while the, all of that's going on, well, and you're you're busy at work. You're, we're we're busy doing the paperwork, looking at planning, doing searches, looking at the title. Planning often takes up more. It's more of an issue than the title nowadays because most title uh, is in the process of being registered centrally in what used to be called the land registry. I won't bore you with the details now, but it, it does make the process a little a little more simple. Can we ask um, you what what is title? Title is the is the legal document which says you own that house. It has to be stamped, and we talk about stamp duty later. And it has to be registered in the Property Registration Authority of Ireland, which was known as the Land Registry and still is conventionally known. Jeez, can as you the imagine taking this task on by yourself without a solicitor? <laughs> it's generally it's not done. Okay. I mean, I have once seen it done, um, but it's it's very rare. Did okay. it work out for them? I don't know. It's probably the best, <laughs> safest answer to give. Very good. So I want to know then, obviously, in that time frame, is there anything that would arise for you that would actually stop the sale going through? Like, is there anything that would that would come up and you go back to the person who's buying the house and say, listen, I actually have to stop you. I don't think this is the way to go. I would say one in, in my experience, probably one in 90, nine zero times. It's usually, oh, well, quite often, it's not usually a matter of title. Sometimes it is. That's the title to the property. Did they have the title to sell you the property? But quite often it's a planning issue. Have they done a huge extension without planning permission? Oh, okay. oh. Now, that is a problem for you for two reasons. One is the local authority can enforce the situation against you if you buy the house or apartment. It's usually a house, obviously. Uh, but secondly, your bank won't be happy because they don't want to lend on a dodgy property. 
Okay. Uh, in other words, a property that doesn't have proper planning permission. That's really interesting. So, so you'll be looking thing. at the planning that's as you go through everything. At. And that's yeah. something that you definitely wouldn't be aware of when you're browsing for a house. You no. just think, jackpot, I've got a lovely rear extension here. Chances are they've got their planning in order because it's very strict nowadays. If it's a second-hand house, which most are, let's face it, then there, is, there are planning things that you have to look at. And that's one of the roles that your building surveyor does in not only going to see it's a house, it's a house not likely to fall down, but more importantly, have the extensions got planning permission? Okay. Has the house got planning permission? What else has come up that could go wrong and, and slow things down? Well, the other major factor, and goes back to the caveat at the beginning about, about your loan from the bank, most banks, in fact, I think it's compulsory now, I should say, that you have to get a thing called mortgage protection policy. Now, that essentially is a life assurance policy. If you, and, and sometimes, not so much for younger people, though sometimes there are medicals uh, enforced upon you. If you fail that medical for one reason or another, if you have a heart condition or some other physical condition, uh, you will not get your loan. If you're not forthcoming about Correct. your health and that Correct. type of thing. Yeah. How many That's quite a, cigarettes you smoke quite a morbid conversation. I remember myself and Barry went to have that <laughs> chat. And is this different to the to the life insurance? Same thing. Same, Same thing. thing. Okay. Because you're talking about, well, what happens if one of us dies, the mortgage gets written off. But do you also want to have the conversation that if one of us gets a certain level of sick, that you then want to have the mortgage written off yes, and you have to pleasant. confront, yeah, you have to confront the your mortality and you're obviously, you know, the whole other process has been quite exciting. You're at the beginning of something. So it is, you know, it's but it's necessary. It's a step that you can't avoid. Yes. I mean, lawyers don't deal with uh, kindness in that sense. <laughs> yeah. They deal with the horrible realities of life. Okay, and so usually quite often for, for young people starting off, they're engaged to be married or in some form of relationship and you don't like talking about death or heart conditions. You have to because if if you don't get your life policy, then you won't get your loan. And this is the biggest commitment you'll ever make. It is. And speaking of which, I'd love to pick you up on that. Obviously, a lot of people who are buying a property are engaged or they're already married. But what about people who are not engaged to be married and don't have plans, but they are in a committed relationship, cohabiting and want to get a mortgage together? I know of a couple who decided to talk to their solicitor about a partnership agreement so that in the case of the relationship ending and, and them wanting to break up, how that mortgage would be divided. Is that something like in modern day Ireland, there's a lot of people who won't yeah. get married. Is that something that you would suggest? Yes, I mean, there are two factors there. Uh, yes, you should have, if, if you're in a, maybe not a relationship, say you're just two people wanting to buy a house because one can't afford by themselves to buy the house. What would you do in those circumstances? You would enter into a short form of agreement which says that if either wants to sell the house at any stage on giving X month's notice, the house will be sold. Now, there, you know, I won't go into the detail, but there are advantages and disadvantages in a rising market that works and a falling market is not so clever. But if, you, if you're just going, say, on a business partnership to buy a house, because you're better off paying a mortgage than paying rent to a landlord, you're better off to do some form of the equivalent of a shareholders agreement about how the house is to be treated if one of you, if you fall out of each other, but more more usually if maybe one party wants to go and buy his or her own house. If there's a relationship there, then it's slightly different and people can get embarrassed about saying, we're in a relationship, but by the way, could we have a legal document well, just in case we're not in yeah, a relationship? Yeah, it feels like a bit of a prenup to yeah. the house. But I want to ask you about, a few of my friends have been through the ringer with buying houses and they went to sale agreed 
on a couple of properties and it, then it didn't work out. And I would have assumed that when your sale agreed, you're popping the champagne and you're you're sorted. And because I bought a new build, it was kind of first come, first serve. There was no back and forth. Luckily, it was a very straightforward process. But mm. for someone buying a secondhand home, they can go sale agreed and then the person who's selling can decide to just pull out. Does that happen often? Like, can you can you not really celebrate until you've got the keys? I think the answer to that is a very straightforward yes. Okay. Um, now, human beings are human beings and they tend to celebrate when they shake hands with whoever is usually with the auctioneer or estate agent. But this week alone, I've had three uh, sales fall through. And why? For Well, uh, one, the person didn't have their money organised. Two, they decided they liked another house and no contract had been signed. I mean, re- bizarre reasons. Okay, so you um, could get out if you were... Yes, you You're can. like, I love this one and then you change your mind. That's interesting to know. What if you've already paid your deposit? Is that refundable now? The booking deposit is refundable. If you paid your full 10% deposit, it is, in theory, it's refundable if something goes wrong. I mean, genuinely wrong with planning or title. It can be forfeited if if people change their minds after the contract has been signed. But I should warn you, since January of this year, the practical law of conveyancing has changed and contracts tend to be signed later rather than earlier. We used to put the horse before the cart or the cart before the horse. I'm never sure which. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it's too complicated to get into, but does do in practice is it leaves both parties with the ability to get out for a longer period of time during the sale agreed gestation period, if you like. Okay. Uh, so you so don't celebrate till you actually get the key. Um, let's assume that there isn't any major roadblocks. People are selling when they're supposed to be selling and you have a, a dream situation of, of a client and a, and a seller that is just straightforward. What are you, what is the process then? The process is that both solicitors put their heads together. It used to be that uh, at the end of the day, the solicitors went round to the seller's solicitor's office and they all sat around a table, usually with a third solicitor for the bank or building society. That has gone now. It's mostly done by uh, exchange of uh, couriers and so on, exchange of paperwork. So the paperwork has gone through in those four or eight weeks or whatever they are between the two solicitors. You're in the meantime putting your life protection your ordinary house insurance uh, and various other practical things. Which you can't get your mortgage without. You can't get your mortgage without. The bank has to be noted on the policy or this is now the home insurance policy as opposed to the life assurance policy. Very confusing. There are lots of things that need to be put in hand. Okay, um, which, which you'll tell everyone. Which to we do. try to tell everyone, yes. And we try to set it out on, on, on letters and emails. But it is, it, as Caroline said earlier, it's a... It is a big process and it shouldn't be belittled as not being a big process. I guess because you think by the time you've gotten there, you're done and you're not. Like the solicitor work, there's a lot of back and forth and you kind of need to to pay attention to it. And a lot of people won't understand the, the language and everything. You That's know, right. So it's it's important to have someone that can... We used to talk in Latin only, which made it even worse. <laughs> oh God, thank God those thank days God are gone. That. So you've sorted out your life insurance, everything else. You come back to the person and say everything's wrapped up. And then is it a case of closing the sale? What's yeah. the yes. Um, now, a few factors there. The seller quite often will be buying another house or apartment and he or she or they uh, will be timing it as close as they can so that the money they get from you for their house goes into the new house. Uh, so there are various balancing acts because they're now dealing with another set of solicitors and another set of sellers who may not be able to leave the house on the date that they thought they could leave the house. So there's a little bit of timing. And I say to all my clients, and Caroline will know, usually nothing happens on the day 
It is designed to happen. (laughs) And uh, you you may say that's just Ireland. I don't think it is really. It depends on the property system, a law system in place. But generally, if you say the closing date, that's the day you get the keys and your solicitor pays your money over and, and you walk into the property and have your champagne then. But if someone says that is the 1st of January, chances are it'll be the 10th or 20th of January. It would be lovely to say it would be the 1st or 2nd of January, but usually it's a few days later. So, There's again, so expectations need to be handled yeah, absolutely. by all parties, really. So once then the person gets the keys and they are having the champagne, is that the end of their involvement with their solicitor? No, you still get a few letters from Al Alan. Yes, I keep writing <laughs> just to show I'm still here. And yeah. uh, no, what the solicitor does then, and he's doing it usually for you, but he's doing it for the bank as well. He then has to stamp the deed, 1% in most cases, of the property. So if it's 100,000, it's 1% of 100. And that goes to the government, um, not to the solicitor, but it goes via the solicitor. And when it's stamped with the revenue, he or she takes the deed and registers it with all the other documents in the land registry, the property registration authority. And that maps it and gives you good title. Process can take anything from six months to two years. But you've moved into the house at this stage? You are in the house and you don't care about it at that stage. Okay. The only time you'll care is if the solicitor doesn't do his work or her work then and they sit on the documents, which did happen in the boom times 10 years ago. Because they were so, not not with every solicitor, but they, and they didn't do their job and they just sat on them. And that created some problems. It doesn't happen anymore. And the banks are patrolling the situation much more so today than they were in the past, which is okay. a good thing. Because remember that your solicitor is also acting for your bank. And the bank is interested in the title being registered because as well as you becoming the legal owners of the property, the bank becomes the owner of a charge or a mortgage on your property. And it and it has to be registered. Otherwise, the bank is out on a limb. So it's it's an important process, but it's it's not one that will interest you because you'll be buying curtains and carpets. At that <laughs> True, stage. but good to note that if you haven't received it within two years, you probably need to check in with your solicitor Correct. and, and a, a good, fire so, under a good solicitor will send you a letter that he has received or she has received from the bank saying, We've got the title deeds, there's a list of them, and you are released from your undertaking. A good solicitor will automatically send that to his clients. I hope I did in your yes, case, you Caroline. And I put it somewhere um, safe, so and you safe that I can't it up remember. On the bedroom wall. <laughs> but okay, that, so... that, that, means, that means the job is eventually done, and it does take a little time because they're short staffed. And if, if someone like me maybe loses that information, you have that on file? Yes, and more, more <laughs> importantly, even if I lose it, which I hope I won't, but if I do, the land registry has it centrally on file and computerised. So that's the okay. great advantage of the land registry. We want to talk to you now about costs. So you've mentioned stamp duty there. What else is there in the mix and what should we be aware of? What should first-time buyers remember? Oh, that the it's hidden not, things. It's not just yeah, the house no, it's, mortgage. It's not it's, just the house. It's And it's the cost of the mortgage. In negotiation fees with the bank, sometimes they charge them, sometimes they don't. It depends. But the bank makes its money out of the interest it charges you. Mm-hmm. The, the, the upfront, but that's done on a monthly basis yeah. after you move into the house, generally speaking. The biggest one is usually stamp duty, depending on the price of the house. And as I say, it's 1% of the purchase price, up to, up to a million euro. 
And who uh, gets that? The government, the state. That's the way. <laughs> and the poor old solicitor has to collect it. Okay. Uh, because if, if you don't if you don't collect the stamp duty and then stamp the document, which is done online now, uh, uh, your your title is bad. Okay. okay. And, and and more to the point, the bank's title is bad, so no one is happy. So you have to pay it. It's a it's a very easy to collect tax. Right. So um, five hundred grand house, add an extra five grand on for stamp duty, you'll eventually correct. have to pay it. Correct. Then there's the solicitor's fees. Solicitor's fees we're not allowed to fix a fee nowadays, um, and haven't been for some I think fifteen years now at least. We charge if you take a ready reckoner, it's probably around the one percent mark. You'll get it for lower and you'll get it for higher. Uh, so that's an element of you bargaining a little bit. I shouldn't be saying this, but it's an element of you bargaining a little bit with the solicitor. Eventually, they'll come to a, a time where they, you both either agree or disagree. Price is important. It's not the only factor because it's back to the quality of the solicitor, which is very hard to establish yeah, unless someone know. has said yeah. that. That is the biggest other okay. expenditure. So if that's a, if it's a 500 grand house, just to... You could be figure. talking of up to 5,000. Okay, so then 5,000 for stamp duty, 5,000 for your legal fees... And then... Well, before I finish on legal yeah. fees, you also have to pay the government 23% VAT on the legal fees. <gasps> so you, that's more for the government. Very they're sorry having, at this point if you're depressed. They're yes. getting they're getting great deal out of this. And we're only having coffee. It's, it's terrible. But <laughs> okay, so 23% the, the other, on the... On the solicitor's fees. Right. So say it's 1,000 for the sake of argument, well, you pay another 230. Okay. And it be, because most people buying houses are individuals, they can't, of course, claim it back. So it is another factor. The other major factors are land registry fees, which vary depending on the price of the house. But you're talking about anything around the 500 to 750 mark. That's for keeping the people paid in the land registry. And that's regardless of the house price? It, no, it, it's, it's, it's done on a scale uh, in relation to the price. It's oh, is just, it? Okay. But it's around, if you budget for about anything between five and 700, roughly for that. Other smaller ones, well, not that small, your, your building surveyor, you probably have to pay them. It varies again from two fifty, probably up to five fifty plus VAT again. And then you have are, your life insurance. You have your life insurance. You have your house insurance. But they'll be monthly. But they'll be monthly. Yeah. So the, okay. these are the upfront ones, really. That I that solicitors have a concern because they have to gather that money in from their clients. So just to have a ballpark, I guess, because like we said earlier, it might be the first time you're working with a solicitor, I would know what is a high price or a good price or a low price. So would you say expect in and around 1% of the value of the house? Yes, although some people would say, listen or some of your listeners will say, well, I got it done for 1,000. Okay. I got it done for 1,500. I still think those figures are too low. Now, I would say that, mm. wouldn't I? But <laughs> um, because I think, you know, there, you've got to employ people and you've got to work with people to get all this work done. And I think if you can find somewhere in the middle, you're probably okay. you're probably getting the best. Because it would be confusing to me, I guess, that the house price would have anything to do with it because you have to do the same amount of work whether it's a little barn or whether it's a mansion, right? It, it was a form of socialism. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you want to work with all the people buying the really expensive houses? Ideally, but I'm prepared <laughs> to do a, a smaller fee for those buying smaller houses. Okay, that's fascinating. Um, I guess we'd love to talk a little bit about the jargon. Now, I know you've talked a lot about it, but conveyance is exactly what you're doing. It's property, property law. Yes. Think of a conveyance. Uh, a conveyance was quite often a bus a hundred years ago, that conveyed people from A to B. We convey the property from A to B. It's as simple as that. Okay. That makes sense. Deeds and title, are they the same thing? No. D the deeds are the title and the title is comprised of the deeds. Oh, uh, no, my head hurts. 
And, and we, we, we tend to use these words and we don't tend to translate them into ordinary English. And that's our fault. And um, Well, it's a shorthand for you because you're using it every it day. It is a shorthand for but us. But is, is, is it necessary for someone to understand all these terms? No, or I don't. I mean, because I, I, you're going to do the work for them. I know where to put the petrol or the diesel in the car or whatever one does nowadays. I don't know uh, how it works. We were also looking at words rehold and leasehold. Freehold and leasehold. Freehold. Jesus, I'm, I'm way off. Freehold and leasehold. This is why we have you, Alan. Freehold means, and virtually every house has to be freehold, new house, uh, for the last 30, 40 years. Um, The the leasehold concept was abolished. However, every apartment is leasehold. In other words, there is a landlord. Invariably, it is the management company, ultimately. Apartments have to be leasehold because you have to have cross-covenants. You see there, we're using the language again. Mm -hmm. A cross-covenant means... You can't hang your washing out at the back of the apartment sort of thing. Uh, or you can't have loud uh, parties because that upsets the other residents. So leasehold works for apartments and all houses are all houses built since the late 70s are free freehold. OK. In other words, no landlord. Can we ask you about um, some first time buyers maybe outside the city are looking to buy land and then build their own house on it? Mm. How does your role with them differ in that scenario? It's much the same because if you what you're really buying is the land. If it, there happens to be a house on it, a dwelling house of some sort or another, that, that's a bonus because you can go and live in it. But as you say, I mean, I'm acting for three people now who are buying small bits of land in Dublin to build small houses on them. Relatively rare in Dublin because land is at a premium. Mm-hmm. The conveyancing process, the property law process, is exactly the same because you 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 probably will want if you're buying a plot of land you'll want to know that there is planning permission to build a house you could be doing it yourself but you might not be doing it so everything else is identical except there isn't a house there's just a plot of land at the end of okay the day. and then would they need to get on to you again when they're building the house they might for a building contract if they weren't building it themselves sometimes they build you know they use subcontractors and they build it themselves it depends uh, on on what they do for a living you know quite often it's builders themselves that do this and then sell the plot Mm -hmm. and likewise if somebody in however many years time was deciding to sell on the house and they had dealt with you are they better off going back to this as long as they've had depends how well they got on with (laughs) you (laughs) how many bottles of wine they sent you (laughs) correct yes or you sent them um, because yes I mean the answer is yes and quite often there's a firm connection that, that there are four or five people in the firm and you know someone else in the firm um, but it, it's not obligatory. You can go where you want the second time around. And obviously, if you had a bad experience, you're mm. going to go somewhere else anyway. And is there any other reason why you would be in touch with a client long after, apart from sending them the those documents later on? As such, no. I mean, if we're meant to be, everyone's meant to market themselves. So you, you, you're meant to keep in touch with the client. And I think some solicitors do, some don't. And then well, they I've want got to no make choice. a will. You're in the family. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're stuck with each other. But the, the But there are other things to be done. And Invariably, there there might be some minor road accident or something that you have to deal with. But um, mm. so the, the concept of family solicitor is still there, I think. Okay, I would say that this episode and this content and this this part of the process for people is the most mind boggling because it's so beyond. Unless you're working in law or you've mm. studied law, but you from what I'm getting from you is that. You don't really need to get yourself bogged down in understanding everything. You just need to get the right solicitor who's going to walk you through the process. Yes, and and keep calm. I mean, I know that sounds very smart, but 
really listen to what they advise. Okay. And 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 um, and don't panic. Now it is a big process, and if something goes wrong, invariably it doesn't most of the time. Then you have to be prepared to deal with that. The the biggest problem I think is time, as as Caroline said earlier. You know, you go sail agreed, and you think it'll all be delivered certainly within weeks. You've got your sofa waiting outside. Yeah. <laughs> so just give yourself plenty of time. Plenty of time, yeah. And is that, is that really your parting advice? Give yourself time, lower your expectations with how long it's going to take and communication is key. Just stay yes. in touch. Tell yes. the solicitor everything. Make sure they're keeping you in the loop. Yes. And do it in sometimes in emails and, and try to lay it out so that it's easy for everyone to keep because a client who, I mean, a solicitor who rings you every day is probably a very rare sight, but a client who rings you every hour of the day can be a little bit distressing for the solicitor. So there's a happy medium between okay. both client and solicitor. And how Email often would you be in touch when you're in the middle of that five period? In the period? middle, you're in touch really. If it's going smoothly, you're in touch probably once or twice a week. If okay. it's going not so smoothly for one reason or another, then you're probably in, in one case I'm in at the moment, we're in touch twice a day because wow. everything's going horribly wrong. Oh God, we've pulled you away to record yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, But then when you've handed them off, they're in their house and they're ready to, to get decorating. So you really do see them home, literally, yes. over that, that, that yes. final kind of And you hope that home. they're not going to turn around and say, we want to sell it a week later. Oh God, no, <laughs> you send them elsewhere. Alan, if people want to use your services, where can they find you? AG Graham & Co on the website, they'll find it. And where are you based in based the city? Based in Fitzwilliam Square. So we have to charge a little bit more. <laughs> Totally worth and it. And if people want to send you a nice little sweetener bottle of wine, what's your favourite tipple? <laughs> Bordeaux, red, of course. That's how you seal the deal for sure. Uh, Alan, thank you <laughs> thank so, so you. much for giving thank us you. your time. People will feel a lot more reassured from this episode that they can have someone that they can trust, that it's not, even though, even though the words are overwhelming, it's actually quite a, a simple process that you're very well used to doing. So, you, you know, nothing is a surprise for you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks so much for taking Thank all you. the stress out of it, Alan. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode four of The Home Stretch, your ultimate guide to buying your first home with Gaff Interiors and Bank of Ireland. We'll be back very soon with episode five. We're very excited because we're going to talk to a first time buyer who's been through the process themselves and we'll share all of their advice, all that they've learned and all that they have to share. So thank you so much. And we look forward to chatting again soon. Meet a Bank of Ireland mortgage specialist anytime, anywhere. Go to boi.com forward slash homes. Bank of Ireland Mortgage Bank, trading as Bank of Ireland Mortgages, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.